Good afternoon and welcome to Midday Magazine for Wednesday, November 16th. I'm Julie Hersey with these stories in local and state news. Ketchikan Independent Representative Dan Ortez has expanded his lead over Republican challenger Jeremy Bynum in the race to represent much of the southern panhandle in the state house. As Eric Stone reports, Ortez now leads by five points. The Alaska Division of Elections released an update to its ongoing count of outstanding ballots Tuesday evening. The update includes more than a 1,000 newly counted absentee and questioned ballots in House District 1. About 60% of those went into Representative Dan Ortez's column, giving him a 336-vote lead. Ortez says he's glad to have the faith of voters in Ketchikan, Wrangell, Metlakantla, Saxman, Kaufman Cove, Hyder, and Myers-Chuck. So I'm feeling pretty good um, about things. Happy to see that my lead grew to 336 votes. Um, excited about uh, the potential of uh, perhaps continuing as, as our state representative. You know, I, I, I feel like um, I'm in a pretty darn good position. Not ready to declare a victory yet, but in a pretty solid position. If the results hold, Ortez says he plans to continue to work on his top priority, a sustainable fiscal plan. Everybody can agree that we need a fiscal plan, but the particulars are what has caught, um, you know, the different groups up over, over these, these years. And, uh, but, um, nevertheless, I'm, I'm committed to that. I'm committed to, to taking the tough votes, to doing the things that are necessary to put the state on a sustainable fiscal path. Ortez says he flew to Anchorage the day after Election Day for some early discussions on how the House might organize. But as of Tuesday evening, whether another bipartisan coalition in the chamber might emerge is unclear. Ortez says he's hoping to return to the powerful House Finance Committee. You know, all options are on the table, but, um, you know, my first priority would be to see if we could do a uh, bipartisan caucus again. And then as a part of that, hopefully I could emerge as the co-chair of finance within that organization. Ortez congratulated Bynum on a well-run race. Hats off again to my opponent. He ran a great campaign, particularly a strong campaign, I think, for a first-time uh, candidate. The count released Tuesday includes ballots received through Thursday, November 10th. Absentee ballots must be postmarked by Election Day, but can arrive up to 10 days later in most cases. Another update is scheduled for Friday. Bynum hasn't conceded per se. He says he plans to wait until all ballots are counted, but he says it's tough to imagine a scenario in which he pulls ahead. I don't foresee that there's going to be a chance for, for that to happen, so we're comfortable with uh, with what we see, and this is where it is. He thanked his supporters and his wife, Carolyn Henry. Bynum says he's proud of his campaign's efforts. Yeah, it was part of uh, why we got into this to begin with, was to make sure that we could elevate the conversation talk about the needs of District 1, and everybody put uh, their best foot forward, and we worked, We all worked really hard, and uh, I think we kept it clean, and that was really, really important part of this, too. Bynum says he plans to spend some time with his family and continue advocating for the community as a member of Ketchikan's Borough Assembly. The election update released Tuesday evening did not include updated tallies for House District 2, which includes much of Prince of Wales Island, in addition to Petersburg, Sitka, Huna, and Yakutat. Sitka Independent Rebecca Himshoot has a 13-point lead over Huna Republican Kenny Carl Scaffelstad in that race. And in Senate District A, the results are largely unchanged. Senator Burt Stedman, a Sitka Republican, has a commanding 36-point lead over conservative Republican challenger Michael Sheldon of Petersburg. The Division of Elections aims to certify the results November 29th. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Eric Stone. 
The Petersburg School District hosted a Community Veterans Day parade to honor and celebrate all veterans this past Friday. The Mitkoff Middle School 7th and 8th grade band performed, as well as the 3rd, 4th, and 5th grade classes. They sang the Star-Spangled Banner. The celebration took place in front of Racy Stedman Elementary School, where the police department, fire department, and veterans drove through with their cars. Some students had banners showing their gratitude from afar, while others ran up to each car to thank the veterans. KFSK's Avery Herman Sakamoto attended the event and spoke with a few veterans afterwards. Happy you could join us and glad that you've taken the time to come participate and let us share our gratitude for your service. They proved through the night that our flag was still there. Olivia Don O'Neill. Um, veterans are awesome and they serve us very nicely. Lisa Mummy, and I think everyone who just passed by is so great and brave and wonderful, and they're really cool. And I love my dad because he's a veteran and he's fighted, and he fighted for everyone who's in this world, so which I'm so glad. My name is Kaylin Morrison, and I thank the veterans for our freedom and and helping us with the wars. Dylan Allison, our veterans are awesome, and I'm very happy for them for serving for us. Tanya Tinas, a special shout out to my friend Andy Anderson. Thank you so much for your service. We love you. Jordan, I'm on the wrong side. Oh, Eliza Wormack, reading teacher at Sedman Elementary. I guess I understand that more of the veterans can come when we arrange it this way so that they can drive because some have mobility issues. Um, I also really think it's fun for the kids to be able to be more um, loud and active, whereas when we have this event in the gym, they have to remain quiet. I think they get to be more like kids and they share their art and they can yell and wave and really share enthusiasm. Um, and a growing understanding of what veterans actually have to, well, not that they understand what they actually go through, but just um, we're able to instill in them the importance of respecting the service that somebody put forth, risked their life, that sort of thing. Like, and, and we talk about that in their classrooms and they write letters. It was really neat to watch them pass out letters today. Um, and, and these things we weren't able to do when we had this event in the gym. So I think, I think that it's pretty neat. My name is Ryan Mumby. Marine Corps, I was in from 2009-2012. I deployed to Helmand Province, Afghanistan in 2009 and did multiple training deployments throughout the Asian Pacific. Veterans Day, like the parade driving through, I remember being in Afghanistan where all the elementary school kids were like from all around the country were sending little letters in. So we'd get those, we actually get those weekly. So to me, the kids running up to the vehicle, including my own daughter, you know, that, that that's awesome. And that kind of like made me remember of being active duty, receiving those letters from all the kids while in Afghanistan. I think it's awesome. I don't think there's enough uh, things going on for the vets in town. I think there'd be, it'd be cooler if we got together more and rather than only on Veterans Day Memorial Day. Uh, my name is Christopher Josie. Um, 
I served in the Marine Corps from 1997 to 2005 uh, as an artillery cannoneer. Happy Veterans Day to all the veterans. Thank you for serving. Um, we're in a, a brotherhood that is uh, lifelong. So happy Veterans Day to everybody. So it probably took me several years before I even was really aware of what was going on with Veterans Day. And so it's become more important to me as time goes on. Um, I'm starting to realize that I was a veteran kind of like the people that came before me were. World War II, Vietnam, the people that I've actually met and were in charge of a lot of the programs in town and you know, really kind of carried it forward to where I am getting now. It's kind of hard to celebrate Veterans Day. Sometimes you're not around for it. And so I feel like sometimes it kind of gets left behind and things like that. But it is a time of year where I try and remember to contact my old friends, reach out to the people that are around me that I know are veterans, you know, even if they're not struggling, even if they're doing okay. If I did have a message for other veterans specifically or people supporting veterans in their lives, um, it would be that I don't think you always have to go do all the social events and everything like that. I think it's very good for the communities and other people to see that you appreciate being appreciated. Um, but I would like to remind everybody that, you know, it, it can be personal too. You can have a very small gathering. You can reach out to individuals, somebody you think might be having a hard time or maybe somebody that you know isn't, but we don't get that same connection anymore. And it's a good time to realize that. The last voice you heard was veteran Jake Hammer, and that was KFSK's Avery Herman Sakamoto speaking with veterans and community members at this past week's Veterans Day parade. A totem pole that spent more than 100 years far from home has returned to the Haida village of Kassan on Prince of Wales Island. It's the first time any clan property has been repatriated to the village of about 30 residents. Reagan Miller has the story. We are really small, but we're still here. The Yaris pole is massive. It's too old to stand narrow, having been carved in the late 1800s, but when it did, it stood 52 feet tall and 4 feet wide. It even has a steel core and had to be barged up on a flatbed truck because it was too big for a box. Mike Jones is the president of Kassan's tribe. He says the village turned out on a recent Saturday to see the first piece of clan property to come back to Kassan. I feel like the pole's been displaced for a long time and been wanting to come home and had to have some kind of recognition. Jones says it's a symbol of pride for the people of Kassan, a Haida village on the eastern shore of Prince of Wales Island. We are the original totem pole people. We're the first of the first. Totem pole carving for us goes back to mythical times. Um, we are the only culture in the entire world to have monumental sculpture in front of every single house. Nobody else did that. None of our neighbors did that. So... Uh, it really became a, a symbol of, of bringing our culture back. The Yadis Pole spent more than 100 years away from the village. Jones says it left with then-Chief Sanahat, Wilson Peel, who was taking the pole down to California for the 1906 Indian Crafts Exhibition in Redondo. Jones says he also took a dismantled house and other poles with him. He actually took uh, 200 tons altogether, including the house, the poles, and, and other paraphernalia, rattles and masks and things like this that he took down. The pole was split into two pieces for the journey. After the show, it moved into a private collection. In 1951, the pole was found in a lumberyard, waiting to be made into pulp. The pole was then placed in the courtyard of the Colorado Springs Fine Arts Center until 2006, 
when it became too old to stand up and was put into storage. Then, in 2010, Jones says the idea of bringing it home started to reach Kassan, where, more than 100 years ago, it fronted the house of the chief. The Colorado Springs Fine Arts Center reached out to the organized village of Kassan in 2010, uh, expressing that they wanted to repatriate the pole. And at that time, we did not have our, our, uh, our cafe or the carving shed, and there was some concern as to where to put it. And the main thing was the funding was not available at the time, so it stayed in storage. But when Jones took his job as tribe president in 2019, it also sparked his desire to dive deeper into his Haida culture. And he started thinking about the poll again. It was then that he got an email from Richard Reinhardt, the CEO of the Central Council of Clink and Haida Indian Tribes of Alaska's business center, who also wanted to make the repatriation happen. Like first started going through this reawakening of our culture, and you know, because we went through what we call the silent years, right? After kind of a, you know, there's been a, a cultural genocide that through the boarding schools and and things like that. So a lot of us, my generation, I'm in my 50s, we didn't we didn't grow up, you know, really knowing who we were and our history and our culture and stuff. See Alaska Heritage Institute helped pay for the repatriation along with more help from Klinka and Haida. Jones says that's an important gesture. It, it'll affect the way that I carry myself, because I know that, that my village is important. And, and, and it was shown that, that we matter. We're such a small tribe here. And uh, you know, Alaska really stepped up to, uh, to help us and, and our, uh, bring our history back. It's not just Kassan that's benefiting from the repatriation. Jones says he's heard from Haida people in Haida Gwaii who admire the pole. And that's the ripple effect of it, that it's touching people from so far away. Jones says the pole was placed on a site where the tribe hopes to one day build a cultural center. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Reagan Miller. That wraps up the news portion of Midday Magazine for today.